think about how stagnant and stationary you are in those positions, right? When you're watching porn, you're lying down, you're sitting, whatever it is, you're hunched over a computer screen, you're very sedentary, you're very stationary. That is, that's not conducive for pleasure. That's not, that's not conducive for full body pleasure. Welcome back to another episode. I am very pleased to have with me today, Cam Fraser, who is one of the top sex coaches in Australia and shout out to all my listeners down under. I believe you're our first Australian guest or maybe our second Australian guest. Um, but thanks for being here. I'm excited to talk to you about sexual mastery in men or penis owners, whatever term you prefer. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm pretty excited to dive into sexual mastery as well. I love the topic. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm curious to hear a little about your trajectory from not being a sex coach to being a sex coach, which I would imagine involves some of your own personal transformation around this because, you know, most of us are not trained in sexual mastery. Uh, semen retention, things like that are sort of foreign concepts to a lot of people in the West especially. So, how did you get your start? What what when did you find this field? Um I guess in a nutshell, like my, um, cause my story is quite long. Um, so I'll be concise, I guess, but it started like, as you mentioned with my own exploration of my own sexuality, I suppose, like when I was 17, I left, um, Australia to go and study and play soccer for a university over in America. And, uh, the, the, the first university I went to was in, uh, it was in Georgia. So it was in the deep South. It was very conservative, Christian and um, the tagline of the of the university I went to was unapologetically Baptist, so it was very conservative and um, and fundamentalist. And so the the community that I was in, like this little rural town in Georgia, was like there's a lot of sexual shame and a lot of like guilt and um, like religious uh, like repression, I suppose and. And so like there was a lot of young people putting themselves in like unsafe sexual situations because there was no sex ed there, right? Premarital sex was a sin. Homosexuality was a sin. Um, you know, I took a class there as part of my degree that I was studying, which was psychology, uh, which was Christian approaches to human sexuality. And so you can kind of imagine the the take that they would have had on, on sexuality. Um, it was very stereotypical. Uh, and the... Um, yeah. And so like, that was a big light bulb moment for me. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like these young people that are not sure like how to express themselves, not sure how to talk to people they're attracted to. Like there was a lot of, this is quite interesting. There was a lot of like young men stalking young women um, because they they weren't, they didn't know how to talk to, to these people they were attracted to. Um, there was a lot of like, like I said, people putting themselves in unsafe situations that were usually alcohol induced as well. So on the weekends, college kids go out, get really drunk, have pretty unsafe sex um, because they were not taught how to do it safely. Uh, and then on Sunday morning, they all go back to church and re- repent essentially. Um, and so layered that guilt uh, onto the weekend you know, encounters. There was a lot of emotional abuse in relationships, a lot of young people staying in relationships 
because they thought that's what they were supposed to do. There was a lot of like shame around ending a relationship. Uh, and then because there was no contraceptive education, there was a lot of teen pregnancies. There was a lot of young, you know, young women getting pregnant and um, people getting married really young as well, because that was like, they wanted to have sex and premarital sex was off the table. So in order to have sex, you, you got kind of got married. And, and so it was, it was, it was a lot for me coming from Australia to kind of be in that space. And so I learned, um, pretty quickly. I was like, wow, sex education is something that's super needed. And, um, and that, so like, that was my first big light bulb was being in that community. The second big light bulb was, um, like my own experience. So I, um, I was playing soccer, like I said, but I seriously injured my back, I actually fractured my, my lower back, fractured my spine. And, um, and it kind of forced me to, to slow down and, and, like it forced me to confront some things like I um, as, as part of like my college kind of persona, let's say, right. I came from Australia, I kind of reinvented myself going to America and I don't know what it is, but maybe this is uh, maybe you'll, you'll agree with this or people listening will agree with this, but like Americans love Australians for some reason. I don't know why, but we were, I was very well received. Me and my Australian mates were very it's well received. The accent is so sexy. Sure. So as a young Australian dude who was like quite open and quite, um, you know, I was quite eccentric. I had long hair at the time and I was, I kind of looked a bit like Russell Brand. I had like lots of like open shirts and I was wearing lots of beads and necklaces and things like that. Um, And so I was, uh, and I was really interested in in casual sex. So as a college student, I was just having a lot of like really casual sex. And, um, And so the way that I treated sex was, it was, there's a saying in Australia, which is um, kind of sums up, which is every hole is a goal. That's essentially the way I was framing sex was, was quantity over quality, I suppose. And, uh, and then also, cause I was an, I was a student athlete as well. I was part of that kind of locker room culture, which is quite misogynistic, quite homophobic. And, um, and, you know, it didn't sit well with me, but I can say that now, but the, I didn't do anything about it. Right. I, 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 I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to cause a fuss. I didn't want to get bullied. I didn't want to be ostracized. I didn't want to lose friends. And so I just went along with it. You know, I was um, just participated in it because that was what was expected of me. Um, And I didn't want to, you know, buck the trend. Um, I I didn't feel confident enough to do that in myself. Um, And so when I hurt my back, um, the opportunity there for me was like, I listened to my body for the first time and I realized how much stress and anxiety and tension I was holding in my body. And, um, and, you know, during those days I was, I was drinking quite a lot as well. Like as a college student, I was doing a lot of binge drinking. Um, it's probably a period of like four to five years of my life around that, um, college age, uh, where every time I had sex, it was under the influence. Like I probably didn't have sex, sex sober. Right. And I was having quite a lot of it because of the, um, kind of college atmosphere. Um, but none of it was, was sober. None of it was kind of, you know, in a, in a aware kind of conscious state. It was very like going through the motions, lick it up. Uh, and because I was quite tense and anxious and like performing my masculinity in a sense, I was very worried about like what these young women would think about me and what my mates would think about me. If I, you know, um, if I came too quickly or if I didn't, you know, last long enough or if my cock wasn't big enough. So I had a lot of performance anxiety about the sex that I was having as well. Um, and so that manifested with like as premature ejaculation, for example, cause I was quite tense and tight. 
Um, it manifested as like erectile dysfunction issues. Uh, the alcohol didn't help with that. Definitely suffered from alcohol induced impotence. Um, and, um, and, but that became a self-fulfilling prophecy because I would, I'd be worried about performing. And so I'd like drink a lot. And then if I, if I shitty sex, I could just blame the alcohol. And then it became a story. I could just tell my mates, oh, I was just too fucked up. I, you know, I just had, I drank too much or who cares anyway. Like it was just some random chick or whatever. Uh, and so it just became this really horrible downward spiral of like my mental health and the way I was having sex and the way I was treating people, not only women, but treating myself and treating other men. And, um, and so it was just a horrible kind of space to be in. Uh, and so to return back to my injury, like this offered me an opportunity to kind of break that cycle. And the way that it, the way that it did was, um, like I said, I listened to my body because I was as part of my rehabilitation, I had to go to Pilates. I had to go to yoga. I had to go to like get a massage. I had to do these things that are very body-based um, modalities, which I'd never done before. Um, and like it started allowing me to tune in with, oh my God, how much tension am I holding in my lower back? Oh, like how much constriction do I feel in my chest? Um, you know, and as I was doing these classes, a lot of emotions started to come up like halfway through a Pilates class, I would just burst out into tears for some reason. Like I had no idea what was going on or halfway through a yoga class. I'm trying to hold a pose that I couldn't do because my back was so sore. Um, I'd get really frustrated, like disproportionately frustrated, like all this anger that I'd been holding onto would come through. And um, at the time, you know, I, I, I was like, I can't let my mates see me crying and getting angry. Like my mates are just going to make fun of me. So I don't want to give you the impression that I was like on top of things back then because I certainly wasn't. But my 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 thinking was, oh, I'll just go to see the counselor to try and process these emotions, but not from a place of like, oh, this is going to be really beneficial for me. It was from a place of like, I just don't want my mates to find out that I'm an emotional wreck. Um, so so I started doing counseling and started you know doing just some talk therapy. Um, count, my counselor put me onto a psychologist. Um, and I just started like breaking down my narratives around masculinity, around what it means to be a man, around sexuality, stuff that had impacted me from my childhood. Um, yeah, like like just figuring out why why I was doing what I was doing, um, and it was probably one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Is is and I was like nineteen at the time, I suppose. Um, so it was very young. So I was. You know, I hurt my back very young at about 18. Um, actually, f- I fractured it a few years before that, but it had a big uh, flare up um, a couple of years later when I was about 18, 19. Um, and then, yeah, and then going through that process of just like self-discovery through counseling and psychotherapy and particularly like narrative therapy. I'm a big advocate for like, you know, narratives and that's what I talk a lot about today. Um, but yeah, so I started noticing that like doing the body-based stuff, doing the talk therapy stuff, the sex that I was having just started getting better. I wasn't anxious. I wasn't as anxious. Uh, and so I didn't have any issues with premature ejaculation anymore. Um, I learned how to breathe properly through yoga and meditation. Um, and so I was a bit more relaxed. Uh, I noticed that because I was a bit more confident in who I was as a man. I, you know, performance anxiety kind of went down. I started talking to the young women I was being sexual about what it is that they liked and what it is that I liked and started being, being a bit more um, of a like kind of active participant in sex rather than just kind of going through the motions and focusing on pleasure. Uh, I was, I was able to feel more as well because I wasn't so tense and tight in my body. I was, I was a bit more grounded in my body. I noticed what I was experiencing more. So I was able to connect to that. Uh, I was a bit more confident in who I was as a man 
outside of the bedroom as well. So I started speaking up against the guys who were saying pretty horrible shit in the locker room. And I lost friends because of it. And and my friends, my friend groups kind of started to shift because of that. Um, and it just, yeah, set me off in this whole trajectory. And that was like the big light bulb moment for me. Um, you know, the second one was like, oh, this is something that I want to do. I, I want to talk about masculinity. I want to talk about sexuality. I want to do this as a career. Um, and so I graduated. Uh, and, and again, I, I've been rambling for a bit. So kind of long story short here, I um, ended up like I stopped drinking. Um, I kind of set myself the challenge to stop drinking. I uh, went and traveled. Uh, I did a lot of traveling through uh, South America, through uh, Southeast Asia. I went to Thailand and I ordained as a Buddhist monk in Thailand. So I was really interested in like Eastern philosophies. And that's where I was introduced to stuff like Taoism and like classical Tantra. I went to India and did some yoga teacher training was really had this philosophy of like wanting to explore things firsthand. I'd read a lot of things in books and, you know, conceptually had kind of understood a lot of things, but I was like, I want to, I want to embody this. I want to actually go out and, and do this and learn about it firsthand. Uh, and I was very lucky and very privileged to be able to travel um, at that time in my life because uh, I'd saved up some money. Um, and then I eventually made it back down to Perth, uh, Perth, Western Australia. And my um, my hometown here, they've got a university which does um, a postgraduate degree in sexology, which is the, the scientific study of human sexual behavior. And I was like, bingo, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to, you know, I want to supplement the experiential stuff that I've been doing with Tantra and sacred sexuality and massage and all these other stuff with some really strong academic, um, you know, Western scientific, um, information. And, and so that's what I did. I, I did my postgrad degree and started to blend these two things because I quickly realized that the spirituality and sacred sexuality stuff is kind of over in one camp and then Western academia and the study of sexology is kind of over here and they don't really have much of an overlap, um, you know, officially, but there's so much of an overlap, which I kind of noticed um, as well. And I was like, why was no one exploring this gray area where these two things overlap? And so that's what I was really curious about. And so I, I, I started just talking about things online. I started doing, I I got my counseling degree. So I started operating and working as a counselor. I then started working um, in the disability sector here in Australia and started working with men on the autism spectrum. Um, So that gave me a really good understanding of like relationships and communication and like consent as well uh, and and talking and teaching about that. And then, um, yeah, there was a couple of different iterations of like my work um, over the last seven years, but I landed on sex coach, which was, um, really beautiful because it, it allows me to draw on different modalities, you know, from the body work side of things, as well as the talk therapy side of things. And, um, yeah, I'm just really passionate about masculinity and sexuality, um, you know, heterosexuality as well. Cause that's my lived experience. I'm a cis het white dude. So, you know, that's who I try and talk to the most. Uh, that's my demographic people that share that lived experience with me. And so, um, the stuff that I do today is really, in a way, me talking to myself 10, 12, 15 years ago, you know, it's, it's the stuff that I wish I'd heard, the stuff that I wish someone had told me. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much the, it. That's my, that's my story as, as concise as possible. Well, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the, that shift when you were 19 and to go back to that moment in time, because that's maybe part of who you speak to. I think it's really healing to hear your story because I think there are a lot of men who would have looked at you and thought, oh, that guy has it all, right? He bangs lots of women. He must be really confident. 
he's kind of got it all together, you know, and meanwhile, you are, you know, you have back problems, you experience crushing performance anxiety, you know, erectile dysfunction, all the rest of it. And the thing that really caught my attention was performing masculinity, which I think might not be familiar to everyone listening, but it's, it's, it's the difference between I should be this way. I'm going to perform this thing known as being a man versus it sounds like what you got to authentically after some therapy and, and body work, right? Yoga and Pilates. I think it's easy to skate over those, but they're really important. Like you said, because it helps you get breath all through your system, which can unlock old tension and trauma. And if you stay with it, you can really get a lot of somatic therapy essentially done with yoga and Pilates. And that combination, you know, led you to, for example, stand up for people. You never really liked the culture of misogyny, which I think another word for that is sort of the toxic masculine culture that we have in the West, many parts of the West, that you never really felt comfortable with and never felt good about, but you weren't ready to to speak up until you felt more grounded in yourself. So I think there's something really powerful about that moment of looking at a guy and thinking that guy's got it all together. That guy's got everything versus the, <laughs> the reality and the lived experience of that we're all going through, which is often not the same. So I think it was also really, there, there's something really touching about you didn't really go to counseling because you thought this is a great growth experience. You were like, I cannot let my friends see me cry. That's going to be the end of the fucking world. I have to get this shit like handled. Let me go to a counselor to kind of like get rid of this part. And it yep. sort of sent you on your, on your spiritual path. Essentially. I think there's something kind of sweet about that because <laughs> I know at least for a lot of the, the men that we work with, you know, healing their relationship with other men, becoming finally having a trusted group of men that they can really be themselves with is a huge part of the transformation that I witness mm -hmm. is, oh, not every man is going to bully me the way that they did in elementary school or middle school. You know, not every man is going to tell me I'm a wuss because of this thing that I share, right? There are trustable men in the world. And, and it sounds like that's one thing that you experienced too, was the shifting of your friends. Who, who, who are my real friends? Meaning who do I authentically connect with that shares my values that isn't going to you know, engage in homophobia or slurs or misogyny, you know, who are my real men? Who are my real men? And that can take a long time to make those real trusted male friends. But it seems like it's one of the most transformative things for men is feeling like they have brotherhood. They have trusted men that are on their side. So, and, and it sounds like you, you kind of found your way to sex coach. I'm wondering on your way there uh, personally, you know, Talk to me about your own sexual progression. So, you know, you mentioned kind of being more in your body and releasing some of that tension really helped you with performance anxiety and all of the rest of it. But I'm also guessing that, you know, you you played in some serious realms. If you were ordained as a monk and you traveled to India and you were studying Tantra, you know, you must have learned a lot and your body must have changed. Can you walk us through a little bit of what what happened Sexually yeah, speaking, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I guess like I, I went from a place of just like feeling very anxious about sex and 
had a lot of stories about what sex should look like and um, what I'm supposed to do as a man and what my partner is supposed to do as a woman. And, um, and so it was very rigid. I had a very narrow and linear way of thinking about sex. Like it was A plus B plus C equals D, right? That was, and that was it. If I deviated from that, I had a lot of shame. I had a lot of, um, I felt like something was wrong with me. I felt like I was less of a man if sex didn't look up a, like a certain way, a particular way. Um, and so like one of the biggest things that I started to learn was um, as I kind of explored my sexuality by doing a bunch of these things was like how um, limiting that belief is and how like having such a rigid view of what sex is. And my definition of sex was so small. It was penis in a vagina, right? That was that was so limiting in terms of my own experience, in terms of the experience of the young women that I was with. And so my, one of my biggest learnings was like, okay, what if I experiment with, you know, being sexual with my partner and not doing any penetration and starting to just explore pleasure for pleasure's sake and starting to get out of this head that, you know, this headspace that sex needed to include an ejaculation, for example. Like that was another part of my journey was like learning about, um, abstaining from ejaculation, not necessarily abstaining from sex and masturbation, but you know, it's ex- ex- just experimenting with, with re- retention or ejaculation retention, and and noticing how that changed the way that I had sex. Because there's a lot of, I, I call this today the symbology of ejaculation, which is like, what does ejaculation mean for you and your partner? And oftentimes, it's a symbol that sex is quote unquote successful. And um, if there's no ejaculation present then a story that can kind of pop up is like, am I not like for, for women particularly that have sex with men is like, am I not hot enough? Does he not find me attractive enough? Am I not doing the thing that he likes? Um, you know, is he not attracted to me? Whatever. And for men, a story that can pop up is like, what's wrong with me? Like, why didn't I ejaculate? Or they might start blaming her and be like, oh, it's because she's not hot enough or because she's not doing that thing that I've seen in porn or whatever it is. And so like, my first experience of that actually was back when I was drinking and I, I had too much to drink and maybe I got whiskey dick or brewer's droop or whatever and couldn't come. And so like it was th- those stories got brought up very unconsciously, very unintentionally. Um, and so I, I had noticed that before. And then when I started to experiment with like ejaculation retention from like the Taoist perspective, I was like, holy shit, like there's such a power in challenging those stories at like that narrative level, but then also kind of learning about the the um, benefits of experimenting with retention at a physical level as well and starting to notice like how much energy was built up, how much like sexual arousal kind of built up when I didn't release at the end with an ejaculation and like noticing that frustration built up, like, oh, there was this feeling of discomfort and blue balls because I didn't have this release. Am I like in a sense, like in the, in the most broader sense of the word, am I addicted to that release? Like, is there a sense of like, this has to happen, this needs to happen. Um, and so I got to challenge that in myself and be like, okay, well, what if I don't include that in my masturbation or my sexual experiences? What else is there? What's on the table? How do we finish sex? When do we stop? Right. Cause that's another symbology is like sex is finished when the guy comes, right. You roll over, have a cigarette and go to sleep. Well, if there's no ejaculation on the table, what do you do? right? When do you know that you're done? When do you finish? Um, and so it gives you this, for me at least anyway, and for the guys that I work with, it really broadens your perspective of sex and sexuality when you take that ejaculation piece out intentionally and consciously. And that was something that I was introduced to. 
um, which is really cool. And that was through the the Dallas um, the Dallas principles of of ejaculation retention. Yeah, I want to hear more about this because I think semen retention and other ways of saying uh, you know non ejaculatory orgasm, for example, which I prefer the term energetic orgasm so that we're not defining it by what it's not. But there's yeah. there's, there's a lot of pleasure to be had in men sexually without ejaculating and but what you're pointing to makes a lot of sense to me in terms of it's the porn script right and most of us are following the porn script because that's the default script for how sex should look at least between a male-bodied person and a female-bodied person and that's i go down on you you go down on me maybe there's fingering and then p in the v and then he he ejaculates and the scene is over, like you said. So when you were playing around with not doing that part anymore, right? Not having sex end with ejaculation. I'm guessing that part of your practice was masturbating without ejaculation. And you mentioned blue balls. I would love to hear a little about what your journey was around moving from ejaculating all the time to choosing not to. What did you notice in your body? How did you get over that frustration of blue balls? I hear that a lot from, from men. And, and then, you know, because there's basically two things, there's your practice with yourself and then there's your practice with partners. I'd love to hear a little about the first, just your practice with yourself moving into more conscious choice, honestly, around your cock. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very much going through the motions when it came to masturbation. It was like, sitting in front of a computer screen, watching porn, mouse in one hand, cock on the other, just friction based, jerking off until I ejaculated. Typically less than 10 minutes, maybe less than five, just kind of getting the job done, you know, kind of wiping the hands and being like, oh, thanks very much. On with the rest of my day. Very, um, very, like I said, going through the motions. So it was very unintentional. Um, so my my practice shifted and one of the biggest things for me mentally was instead of thinking about it as masturbation, which has a lot of connotations, essentially like what I've just shared, like a lot of people when they think male masturbation, think that they think a guy on his phone, looking at porn on the computer, looking at porn in the shower, jerking one off as quickly as possible, get the job done. Thanks for coming. Um, the shift for me mentally was like, okay, that's what masturbation is, but, but what's self-pleasure? Right. And that's, that's the terminology that I often use when I work with men today is like, let's cultivate a self-pleasure practice rather than let's masturbate a bunch of times. And the difference here for me is self-pleasure as an umbrella term is like the name suggests, what do you yourself find pleasurable? And that can include genital touch and genital stimulation and kind of like masturbatory uh, acts, but it isn't limited to that, right? Masturbation oftentimes is kind of just limited to you know, the way that we think about it is just limited to the genitals. Self-pleasure for me was like my whole body. And so that was how I started to shift my my experience of, of masturbation into self-pleasuring was I didn't just localize and focus only or solely on my cock. I started to learn that, and this is what I say to guys today, is like, you're not just your dick. You're actually one big dick. You're actually a huge dick. And you can experience pleasure from, you know, from the crown of your head to the tip of your toes. And so that was a big thing for me was to like, start to touch the rest of my body and learn like, oh, I really like it when you scratch my chest or when I scratch my chest, or I really like it when, um, you know, I touch my face. And and when I started to, I, I suppose, explore the rest of my body, the pleasure that I started to experience started to expand as well. Cause it wasn't just like 
localized to my genital area. It was like this full bodied experience. Um, and that brought up a lot of shame for me, right? There was a lot of sexual shame there around like, oh, this is weird. This is like not what men do. This is like a lot of internalized homophobia got brought up, especially when I, and we can talk about this in a second, especially when I started exploring my own ass. Like there was a lot of anal play as well involved in just exploring my body. Um, and that, that wasn't straight away. It was kind of like I explored my whole body and then I was like, oh, there's this one area of my body that I haven't even explored yet. And I've got so much tension and fear around it. And why is that? And, and so that was a whole journey as well. Um, but yeah, so, so, uh, full body pleasure was like a big learning for me. And, and so the, the kind of straw that broke the camel's back, I suppose, in terms of this cracking open was I, I had like a, a full body orgasm. I had like a, this experience of pleasure that was you know, a peak. It was heightened, but it didn't involve an ejaculation. It didn't involve, it didn't even involve a lot of genital stimulation. It, it was, it was pleasure that I'd felt in the rest of my body. And I, and I now recognize it and I know how to do it. And I teach it to guys today, but like the feeling, if I describe it is like, you know, it starts at kind of the bridge of my nose. So it doesn't start in my genitals. It kind of starts across the bridge of my nose, kind of builds out across my face. I feel it across my chest. It kind of starts uh, in the heart as well. And from the center of the chest and builds out over my arms and into my fingertips. Um, And it's very different. It's a lot more diffuse. It feels a lot more expanded than it is for like, an ejaculation or ejaculatory orgasm, um, which feels very localized for me and feels like it's only happening in my genitals. And it's, you know, and, and it's a lot more tension as well. Like when I experience ejaculation, I know this is true for a lot of guys because I speak to them about their orgasms. When there's an ejaculation, it's oftentimes quite tense. There's a lot of like pushing and squeezing for the, the ejaculation and the orgasm that comes with it. That, energetic or full-bodied or non-ejaculatory orgasm, whatever our language is for it, for me and for the men that I've worked with, it's the opposite. It's an opening. It's an expanding. There's a lot of relaxation and there's not a lot of tension, um, which is a completely different experience. So, so I, and so I managed to have one of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And, just um, to slow down how you got there, this would be, yeah. you were playing around with self-pleasure being more than just, I touch my cock for a while. <laughs> look at porn on my phone and, and rub one out to, it feels nice to touch my chest right now. It feels good to stroke my beard right now. It feel like feeling what feels good in the moment and going there. Is that right? And then you were yes. doing that for a while. And one day what this full body orgasm just happened, or were you cultivating that as a, an intention? Uh, I'd heard about it. So I'd, I'd read that these, these were things, but for me personally, and actually for the the guys that I work with, it was a happy accident. It was just like, there was no intention. Um, the intention, well, the intention was to explore pleasure, to just figure out like, you know, what was, what, what did I enjoy and just go there. Um, but the, I didn't have the express goal of being like today, I'm going to try and force an energetic orgasm or try and force this particular experience. Um, and that was like, and that's something as well that I take into sex, right? Like so if we transition a lot of these things into partnered experiences, um, it's kind of taking that goal out of it and going, instead of I'm going to make you orgasm or I'm, we're going to do this particular thing. It's like, well, what feels good right now? What feels pleasurable right now? And if we, if we, if we follow that, if we kind of pull that thread and we just explore pleasure and, and just build pleasure on top of one another, it doesn't matter what it looks like because it feels fucking good. And um, that was a, that was a huge kind of shift for me was, was 
that in my own experience, my own self-pleasuring. Um, so yeah, so that, that it was a happy accident for me. And, and typically when I, when I share with guys as well, when I teach them about this sort of stuff, I say to them like, here's, here's what can happen, but I don't want you to chase that. Yeah. Right? Um, I'm giving you the, the, the tools and, and the invitation to explore and just see what comes of it. And um, there's a really beautiful practice called pleasure mapping, which is essentially what, I, what I've been talking about. But it's like treat your body as like this, um, this map, right? And a lot of guys, their map, the only part that has any detail is their genital area. And so we want to try and fill in as much detail as we can for the rest of your map. And, um, and, you know, and so start at your toes and work your way up to the crown of your head over the course of like an hour and just explore your body, explore pleasure. Where do you feel pleasure? Do you feel it when you tickle the back of your knees? Do you feel it when you squeeze your toes? Do you feel it when you pinch your shoulders? I don't know, whatever feels right for you, like build up that robust understanding of your sex and sexuality and pleasure and, um, yeah. And, and, and it's a really beautiful practice because then you can talk to your partner about it. Then you've got something to share. Like, Hey, what do you like? Oh, I know what I like because I've actually done it. I've explored it. I've got a concrete thing that I can say to you and hopefully your partner's done something similar and you yeah. can have that conversation. But um, yeah. So in terms of like, the, I think the original question was like, how did it shift for me? Like what changed in terms of like my experiences was, was that was a big one was just including the rest of my body. Um, also including oil as well. Like I, I got into the practice of, um, Abhyanga, which is an Ayurvedic self-massage technique. It's actually a lymphatic massage, like, you know, draining lymphatic fluid from your muscles after you've done some exercise. Um, but I, I adapted that for a erotic kind of purpose, for a sexual purpose. And so I used some warm coconut oil and started just like connecting to my body in a more sensual way as well. So like pleasure mapping, the way that I described it can kind of sound a little bit clinical, and I often frame it as quite clinical as well for guys because it, it kind of gets them through the door, so to speak. I'm like, just treat it as an experiment. You're just collecting data. Like it's not this, um, it's not this sensual lighting candles type of experience, um, which it certainly can be, but that's not the way I start it with guys. Cause it, there's often a bit of reluctance and resistance to do that. So, um, yeah. So like in my own experience, that was kind of similar. I started off being like, okay, I'm just going to explore my body, notice what I feel, and then as I got more comfortable with that, as the shame that I had started to, I started to unpack it and get rid of it, I then was like, what else can I do? Like, how else can I incorporate different things into my self-pleasuring? And so part of that was, was like bringing some warm oil in and starting to like oil up my body, starting to oil up my genitals, you know, because a lot of the time that I'd been masturbating was very friction-based. It was very dry. Um, and a lot of guys masturbate dry. And I, if you just want one tip, like just include oil or lube when you're masturbating like that, it would change your whole experience. Um, but then like I was like, I started exploring breath as well. So I started, you know, diaphragmatically breathing as opposed to breathing into my thorax, thoracic breathing. I started upregulating my breath and downregulating. So like you're breathing quicker versus breathing slower, drawing in more oxygen, drawing in less oxygen. How did that change my experience? You know, I started getting really curious about how, how my body reacted to things. You know, I started exploring. Just you figuring this out because you did work with some mentors and I'm wondering in your journey, you know, was this, I'm just testing some stuff out or was it, Hey, there are some lineages here and they know some things and we're, we're, we're following some of those. Like where, where were you when this was all happening? Um, so this is all over the course of like 10 years. Um, and there was, there was like, pieces of information I picked up from books. Like I, I read very early on some Mantak Chia stuff. So like I, I incorporated that. 
never kind of learnt underneath him or anyone that teaches his method, but um, read his work and started to to implement it. Did a lot of yoga practices, so um, that's where I was introduced to like Ayurveda, and there's like um, then kind of connected to kind of classical tantra, tantric Shaivism. So there's like this practice called Nyasa, which is like self-anointment with oil. And so that was something that I was introduced to. Same with Abhyanga, which is that kind of self-lymphatic massage. And so I like was introduced to those things, did them in their traditional kind of form. And then I was like, how can I adapt these? That was that was something that I was always kind of asking, was like, like what else can I do with these? How can I change these and, and make it into my own personal experience rather than being rigidly attached to the the instruction? Like that's something that I've always been against is being is following dogma and being like stuck to that. And I think that was because of my early experiences with those religious communities in America. And so when you're guiding your men, for example, I'm guessing this isn't, you're not starting them on an hour long journey, right? It's something doable that they can actually accomplish of 10 minutes, <laughs> or I'm just curious, what is, what is the intro of if a man is listening and interested in trying something, it doesn't need to be an hour long intensive. It can be, you know, what's like a simple one to start for guys. Cool. So the, the first thing that I suggest to guys is, um, well, after I've asked them how they masturbate, which I get again is very, I ask a lot of guys this and, and the three common ways is sitting in front of a computer, right? Like I am kind of now um, hunched over a computer screen, masturbating, watching porn, sitting in bed or on a couch with a phone in one hand and a cock in the other, masturbating, watching porn or in the shower behind closed doors, trying to masturbate as quickly as possible before the water corporation comes and knocks down your door for wasting so much water. And so the first thing that I say to guys is, okay, think about how stagnant and stationary you are in those positions, right? When you're watching porn, you're lying down, you're sitting, whatever it is, you're hunched over a computer screen. You're very sedentary. You're very stationary. That is, that's not conducive for pleasure. That's not, that's not conducive for full body pleasure. So, you know, before we, we haven't even talked about porn yet, but before we take porn out of the situation, because a lot of guys also feel um, it very difficult to feel aroused without some sort of external stimulation. So before we even get to that, right, I say, take your porn, take your computer, take your phone, put it on a shelf, put it somewhere up high that's in your eyesight and stand up. And now that you're standing up you and, and your hands free as well, you're not, you're, you're not holding your phone, your hand isn't on your mouse. You've got your, your hands to touch and you know, start, at, start at your genitals, right? Start at your cock, build that arousal there incorporate some lube, incorporate some oil. And from there, just very slowly work your way out from your genitals, right? So start your cock, get an erection, get aroused, build yourself up to, you know, that point before you're about to ejaculate, right? Get to that point, get to that heightened state of arousal. When you're there, then start to explore the rest of your body. And you might like to just start around the, the inner groin. You might like to just start around like the lower abdomen, right? Staying close, you know, to your genitals it's still, because again, similar to my own experience, it can, it can bring up a lot of shame. It can bring up a lot of resistance to want to explore the rest of your body. It can feel, feel very awkward if you've never done it before. So, you know, keep it safe, keep it pleasure oriented, stay in that kind of localized area and breathe, like breathe. You've got an opportunity here as you're standing up to kind of move your body a little bit more when you're sitting down you don't have that real um, opportunity to do that. Um, so before I get too deep into that, cause I, I, I love talking about self-pleasure, but that's like the first steps, right? It's very simple. It's not too different from what you've probably already been doing. If you're a guy listening to this, 
um, but it's different enough for it to elicit a, a new experience for you. Um, if here's, here's just another little thing that I, I always recommend as well is like if you're watching porn and and you need that kind of external stimulation in order to feel aroused, but you want to shift it up a bit, uh, close like the laptop screen or darken the screen, put some headphones in and listen to your porn instead. Porn is actually very auditorily stimulating. So, um, so if, you, if you're worried about like visual cues and being too connected because you've learned about porn and, and maybe how it's detrimentally impacting you, turn the screen down and listen instead. And, and again, you're getting that external stimulus. You're getting that kind of um, external arousal. Uh, you're using it and, um, and it's still you know, part of your experience, but it's just in a different way. So um, that's another really simple thing that you can do to begin. And then there's a whole, like that just opens things up and that's like kind of Pandora's box. There's so much else you can do, but that's where I'd, I'd recommend starting. That's a great one. I like that. And it feels like very much meeting people where they are and try this. And you're right, because when you're standing, you have a lot more breath through the system anyway, right? even if you're not doing that much different, but there's just more movement or there's more choice available with your hands. I think it's poignant that you've said a couple of times now that there's some shame around men touching their own bodies in a way that feels good. And I think that there's much less shame for women. I think there's a lot of homophobia in the West that we, there's some we acknowledge, but there's a lot we don't acknowledge. And it does feel related to that. I think there's less shame for women around touching their own bodies. I think, you know, rubbing lotion on themselves or just sensuality feels more safer for women actual sexual pleasure feels a little scary, right? Mm. Like I'm a woman who goes after my sexual pleasure. That feels scary, but me touching my own body feels safer, I think, than it would maybe as a man. And that, um, (laughs) yeah, the auditory versus visual. I think that's such an interesting uh, question because I know many of the men that I work with have a lot of shame about the amount of pornography that they consume and Several of the men who've gone through our program have actually stopped watching porn as part of their their journey, essentially. And I think they've never really looked back, looked back that it's been a positive for them and, and has felt much less like this is a compulsive thing that I do. Mm-hmm. And there's just more choice around it. So I'm curious to hear, you know, in your own journey, in terms of something like full body orgasm and choosing to not ejaculate, right? Choosing to not ejaculate, whether you have the full body orgasm or not. And I think another term for this would be semen retention. What did you notice in your own system? Cause there's a lot out there about, you know, it's good for your energy level. It's good for your skin. It's good for your, it's really, really healthy for you. And I'd love to hear from a real man of what was your actual experience going yeah, from yeah. ejaculating all the time to choosing not to ejaculate all the time. I've had a pretty interesting journey with um, ejaculation retention. I used to be quite, um, like when I first heard about it, I was quite skeptical. And then when I tried it, I was quite hardline, right? I became a bit of an extremist. Um, and now I am kind of somewhere in between. And my so today my own personal practice with ejaculation is, and I say this, you know, not trying to discredit or, or step on anyone's toes. I don't practice ejaculation retention anymore. 
one of the reasons why is similar to what you said about non-ejaculatory, non-ejaculatory orgasms, focusing on what it isn't, right? The, the phrasing and the mentality around ejaculation retention is we're focusing on not ejaculating as opposed to focusing on what it is that we can experience. So I practice now conscious ejaculation. And um, what I mean by conscious ejaculation for me personally is uh, I ejaculate intentionally. I don't just go through the motions and say, Oh, well, I'm here. Fuck, I might as well just do it. I'll make a, I'll make a decision before I self-pleasure or before I have sex with my partner and we'll have a conversation. Are we going to ejaculate today? Do you want me to ejaculate today? Like, how am I feeling? Um, and I use ejaculation as a tool to shift things, to let go of things. A lot of guys might've already had this experience unknowingly of like, maybe they've had a shitty day at work and they come home and they feel a little bit lethargic and they feel a bit tense they masturbate and they ejaculate and they feel lighter afterwards. You can, you know, you can mindfully do that. You can intentionally do that, not just kind of go through the motions and hope for the best. Uh, and so now I, uh, and now I practice um, conscious ejaculation where I ejaculate once a month and that once a month is um, synced up with the cycles of the moon. So I, I, it's again, it's an opportunity for me to get back in touch with the cyclical nature of like the world recognizing that I'm a cyclical being as well. Like that's a big myth that a lot of men have is like our testosterone is just peaking all the time. And um, that's not true. We actually have cycles. We have daily cycles. We have monthly cycles. We have seasonal cycles as well. And then we also have the gradual decline over, over our age. So, um, so like recognizing and understanding that in my body. Uh, and then part of my, my conscious ejaculation is when I can is going out to the woods and going outside and, connecting to nature in that way, um, ejaculating onto the earth, uh, kind of, you know, similar to these spiritual practices that a lot of women have of giving their menstrual fluid back to the earth or giving their reproductive fluids back to the earth, right? Which is menstrual fluid. Ejaculatory fluid is our reproductive fluids as a man, um, or as a person with a penis and, um, and then honoring that, that period of time after ejaculation as well. So a lot of guys, when they come, it's like into the toilet, into a towel, into a tissue, into the bin. They don't think about it. And then they just go off and like I said, go to sleep or go about the rest of their day. Um, part of my own practice and what I teach to guys is honoring that period of time after you've ejaculated, which is your, like, like if you want to use the yin yang kind of philosophy, that's your yin time. That's your rest time. You know, yang is like that fiery kind of masculine penetrative, like sex masturbation kind of energy. It's like that build up of tension and build up of arousal. And then after that's been released, you go from a state of high tension to low tension. That's your relaxation time. That's your yin time. And can you honor that that space? And, and what are you putting back into your body? You've just released something via ejaculation. What's going back in, not only energetically, but also physically. Uh, so I have like a post nut uh, smoothie that I like to drink um, that kind of nourishes me back up. It's got like medjool dates and goji berries and all these other beautiful things, which are really important for like sexuality and vitality. Um, so from that, that kind of like Ayurvedic perspective. Um, so that's my, that's where I am today. So I, I, I like, I, I will speak about ejaculation retention, but I often couch it in this idea that I don't actually practice ejaculation retention anymore because it's kind of like focusing on, you know, the, you know, big pink elephant in the room, right? You got in order to not focus or not think about the big pink elephant, you've got to first think about it in order to suppress that thought and not think about it. Same thing with ejaculation retention. In order to like think about not ejaculating, you first got to think about ejaculating to then suppress that thought and, and not ejaculate. And then there's a lot of language around ejaculation retention, which is like right. if you if you come, you've relapsed or you've kind of you know, and it 
it's right. not November at the moment. So I, there's a whole lot of, of people like interested in that. So ejaculatory retention for me, um, you know, when I, when I go for a month without it, it feels, um, I feel really uh, vitalized. I feel really rejuvenated. I feel very high energy. I feel like I get a lot more um, creative juices flowing. I feel like I want to do more things. I want to kind of be outdoors a little bit more. And um, I, I supplement it by going to the gym as well. And so I feel like a little bit more powerful at the gym. Um, the like the thing I say to guys as well is like, you'll find a cycle that works for you. So some guys will after a week, they'll get those results and they'll feel like any more than that, they don't really see any difference. Other guys will go, you know, I know guys that have gone six months and they haven't ejaculated and they feel like they're still getting, you know, the, the results. So finding your own personal cycle of ejaculation as well is like really important, like hard and fast rules of like, you need to ejaculate once a month. I don't think it's beneficial. I think we need to find what's individual and unique for us. So. Right. Um, and to be clear, yeah. you're not talking about, you're not, playing with your body at all. You are playing with your body. You are experiencing pleasure. You are touching yourself. You are maybe even having sex with a partner. You are still being sexual, but you're choosing to, to, to retain that energy, right? To retain that, that chi. Some people call it chi that is, is not just like you said, and A equals B, I'm here, so I might as well, or I'm used to this, so I'm just going to just going to do it. It's not that you're not doing anything. I think sometimes when men are, are hearing about this, it feels like, oh, I get it. I just don't don't do anything. Right. Ejaculation mastery or you know, conscious ejaculation just means I don't do anything. And that's not what we're talking about. Right. So yeah, I'm wondering, you know, can you speak a little bit to your experience as a lover? in this, in this regard, you know, you did mention sort of having a discussion with your partner about, <clears throat> do, do we feel like that would be good for us tonight? You know, how much is sort of your, your partner and you as a collaborative team versus you saying, for example, I have a big project coming up. I know I need a lot of energy for, I'm going to choose to not ejaculate for the next few weeks until that project. Do you, do you exercise things like that? What does that look like with a partner? Yeah. So, um, the, the first like thing to, to navigate with a partner is that, like I was saying before, that story that we have about ejaculation, like a lot of women, whether they're aware of it or not, like want an ejaculation from a partner or, um, you know, I would say maybe sometimes if they haven't done the work, need an ejaculation. Otherwise they feel a lot of self-worth issues pop up. Um, and so that's something as a guy, if you're practicing semen retention to be mindful of, to have a conversation about and 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 not only is this true for you, but it's also true for when you explain it to your partner, that pleasure isn't limited to an ejaculation, right? Like our people, as people that have penises, as, as men, like we've conflated orgasm and pleasure with an ejaculation, right? And if he didn't come, he didn't enjoy himself. If I didn't ejaculate, like I, I didn't enjoy the sex that I was having. That's not true. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of guys, if they kind of like just reflect on that for a moment, they're like, yeah, sex is great ejaculation is also great that those two things aren't like, they're not the same thing. And so we can experience pleasure. Like we can experience orgasm. Like we've been talking about without an ejaculation as well, because orgasm and ejaculation are two separate physiological processes in the body there. We can separate those two things and we can have one without the other. Um, and so like that is, that's something to explain to your partner is like, 
sex feels really good for me, even though I don't ejaculate. Like I'm making the decision not to ejaculate. Doesn't mean that I'm not enjoying myself. Doesn't mean that I don't experience pleasure, right? We can, so that's, that's another big part of this whole journey is like part of learning about your body and experiencing pleasure in, in multiple different ways is taking that to your partner and almost like teaching her as well about your body. Cause a lot of women have the same kind of limited understandings about men's bodies that, that men have, because that we just get the same information. No one's out here teaching women anything different about men's bodies. They're getting the same information that we're getting, um, which is quite limited and quite narrow. So part of this journey of, of, you know, sexual self-discovery is then teaching your partner and being like, Hey, this is what my body is capable of. This is what you know I can experience. And even if I don't ejaculate, it doesn't mean that I'm not enjoying myself. Um, so that was the thing that I had to do with my partner was, was kind of teacher about my body and, and what it's, what it's able to do. And then, um, and then, yeah, from there learn, like obviously part of the journey was learning how to have like uh, an experience of orgasm that doesn't involve an ejaculation or having full body orgasms or having sex that doesn't involve an orgasm. Like, you know, again, taking the goal out of sex. And, um, and so we experimented with that for a little while. I was like, okay, well, neither of us are going to orgasm. And that's an intentional thing that we're, we're not going to strive to have an orgasm we're going to explore pleasure together uh, and just see what that feels like uh, if we feel we're getting close to orgasm we're going to just back it off and see how we feel notice any frustration that builds up why is there frustration there okay can we do something else can we release that tension in another way um, did and you? just exploring that being did curious you, i mean did, what, <laughs> what did you do Right. So, um, and here's something that I, I suggest to people is like when you're beginning this journey of like not ejaculating, you'll want to, because you've been doing it or because you've been orgasming, your body will have this craving to do it. And, um, which is totally fine. It's, it's, that's what you've conditioned yourself to do for your, your whole life up until now. So to start off, it can be helpful to substitute orgasm or substitute an ejaculation with something else, something else that, like I said before, takes you from a state of high tension to low tensions, takes you from the state of building up to then quickly letting go. Uh, a couple of strategies could be exerting physical activity, right? Exerting physical energy in like in a quick burst. So it could be like smashing out a whole bunch of push-ups as quickly as you can and just like really, really going hard. If I've got a punching bag, it could be just like smashing the punching bag as quickly as you can, just like really exerting as much energy as, as fast as possible. Some guys go for a run um, and they just like run really hard. Um, another one could be uh, a cold shower or you know, an ice bath, for example, uh, if you don't have access to a full ice bath, you, you can put a little- ice bath, not a nice bath, by the way. Yeah. An, I, yeah an ice bath. Yeah. Uh, you can put like some ice and some water in a little bowl and dunk your testicles into that. That's like a miniature ice bath. Uh, that's like some testicle icing. So there's, uh, so again, just that takes imagine you- Imagine <laughs> the faces on people listening right now. Like that sounds like hell. I don't understand why you would do it, but there's something I just want to reflect back. There's something very sexy about what you're describing. And there's something very sexy to me about men that choose to play in this and actually challenge themselves and develop themselves sexually, like going towards sexual mastery. I just have to say, I'm like, this is amazing. Like I want to date <laughs> this guy, this kind of man that's doing this, right. Obviously dunking your balls in, in, in like ice water sounds maybe really hard. And I'm not saying equals B, but there's something really hot about this. There's something really hot about men that hat that are choosing to be conscious about their sex and their sexuality. And that might involve ice water on the balls. Yeah, totally. And, and I think like what I'm getting at here and what I've kind of tried to bring into this whole conversation is that 
shit doesn't just change like that. Like it is a journey. Like I said before, like this is 10 years in the making. It's, it's taken me to get here. So like mastery, what is it? They say like 10,000 hours to master something, a master a skill. And that's essentially the same thing with sexuality and sex is 10,000 hours, you know? And, um, and so like part of this journey is, is experimenting with things like this and, and, you know, recognizing that you, you can't push yourself to have this experience and think, okay, now, now that I'm there, it's going to, you know, things are going to be totally shifted for me. It's, it's, and the way that I think change happens, and this is my philosophy with coaching is baby steps and meeting people where they're at and stages of change and things like this and, and slowly shifting things over time so that in like a year's time, things have like really dramatically shifted, but they haven't really felt they've shifted that much because you've done things yeah. so slowly over that period of time. Um, and yeah, so part of that, yeah. If you, can, oh, yeah, go ahead. if you can just touch on, you know, what makes it worth it? Because it sounds like this is a pretty vital part of your life and it has served you deeply. So in what way, you know, why is it worth it to, to cultivate yourself in this way as a man? What's, what are some of the benefits? Um, well, I'm a big believer that sexuality is inextricably linked to who we are as human beings, right? Whether we, um, however we identify, however we express, like understanding our sexuality is understanding ourselves and it influences and impacts the way we show up in every relationship, right? Whether it's a family member, whether it's a lover, whether it's a, you know, a child, whether it's a religious authority, our sexuality and our understanding of our sexuality influences all of those relationships. So if there's a part of ourselves, a part of like our sexuality that we feel a lot of shame about, or we feel a lot of resistance to exploring, or we just don't understand, or we've never given ourselves the opportunity to explore that part of ourselves, then that's in- impacting all of those relationships. It's it's impacting the the way we show up in the world. So, um, so for me, like part of my, you know, if I reflect back on, you know, what I shared at the beginning of this podcast, my own, my own journey, like being authentic and being genuine with myself and showing up in the way that feels like right for me. Part of that was like owning the fact that I'm a sexual human being. I'm a sexual man. And there's a lot of stigma and a lot of um, shaming of men expressing their sexuality because a lot of guys have done it in a very unhealthy way for a long time. Um, And so like, part of learning about your sexuality and being curious with yourself and being authentic and open with yourself is breaking that cycle of, of, you know, collectively men being, you know, pretty unhealthy in their expressions of sexuality. So, and so, and, and that for me personally changed the way that I interacted with people. Like I, it, it, you know, I became a, um, I became a better man for it, you know, and, and, not only to people in my life that were, that I was, you know, sexual with, but also people in my life that, that I wasn't, that I, and I never would be. Um, I became like a safe person for them to speak to. Uh, I became like a sounding board for them. I was able to like reflect things back to them, just changed the way I communicated. Um, not only in an intimate way, but also in like just a conversational way as well. Um, it was just like a, yeah, it's just really dramatically shifted the way that I um, show up in the world. Um, and I feel a lot more authentic. I feel a lot more um, grounded in who I am. I feel a lot more connected to my body and my partner. Um, and if we want to go like, you know, down the scientific data, you know, route, you know, less stress, less anxiety, makes you live longer, makes life more enjoyable, 
And right um, now, when you're saying it, you're talking about sort of sexual mastery, including conscious ejaculation. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, all, everything we've kind of been speaking about, just like connecting to your sexuality in general. And, um, and part of that is like learning about when you feel comfortable ejaculating and, and figuring out your own ejaculatory cycle and, um, and exploring and being curious. Like it keeps you like, it keeps you in your playfulness. It keeps you in your, um, like you take things less seriously as well. Like there's a lot of like sexual pent up sexual anger and rage and frustration that I let go of. Um, and so I, I just enjoy myself now. Like, you know, it's, um, yeah, like uh, to, to kind of flip the question, my, um, which, cause I get asked this quite a lot. It's like, why, why would I do this? Why would I go through this whole journey? It's like, well, what about if you didn't go through this journey in 10 years time and you just kept on the path that you are now, what, what's that going to be like for you? How's it been going for you so far? And, and if you kept on doing that and you didn't make any changes in 10 years time, what's, what's it going to be like? How's the, how's your life going to, you know, what's it going to look like in 10 years time, I suppose. So that's my, that's my counter kind of uh, question to, to someone who might be listening to this being like, fuck, it sounds like a lot of work. What, what's the point is like, okay, well, if you keep on going down the route that you're going down now, how's that going to in fact impact and influence your life? Um, and, and, you know, if you made changes, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as the changes I've made, but if you made a few changes in your life, like in your sex life in particular, w- like what have you got to lose essentially? Like it can only be better, um, in my opinion, at least anyway. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like one of the benefits that you're describing does have to do with energy because I know a lot of the men that I work with when they show up, sometimes they they feel sort of depleted in their life or like their life is sort of gray, right? Like there's not a lot of color or they're stressed and anxious. A lot of the time they have relationship stress and there's just a sort of fog or gray or lack of vitality. And it sounds like part of what you've experienced, what I'm hearing you say, especially with your cyclical monthly situation is you're, you're more in tune with what's actually happening and you're conscious when you're ejaculating, for example, of, oh, I'm letting go of some material. I have a way in my life of regularly releasing and allowing things to, to leave rather than just rote sort of ejaculation, <laughs> right? And, and, and that's, yeah, I think you spoke to it of also the, the energy level and the, the playfulness that you described. For me, if I imagine having sex with a man on a regular basis where he's not ejaculating, sex automatically feels more playful to me because it's like, oh, well, what are we here for? We're here for fun. We're here for fun. We're not here to get you to this point so that we know we're done to your point. It's like, wow, it automatically, it already feels more playful and we haven't even done anything yet. So I think those are some, some worthwhile advantages and and thanks for speaking to that. Cause I do think a lot of people would say, well, you know, ejaculation is sort of working for me right now. And it's like, but is your life working for you, right? Is your, is your sex and relationship life working for you as it stands? You know, if not, maybe yeah. there's something to consider. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like sex just gets better. You know what I mean? Like that's, if you want to just boil it down to like one thing, like sex is fucking fun and it can get funner. Like there's more, like you can do so much more. Um, so yeah, if, if like, yeah, if you enjoy sex and and it's you know enjoyable for you, or maybe it's you know you en- you enjoy sex but it hasn't been really that enjoyable for you, um, just by doing a couple of things, you can 
dramatically change like the sex you're having with your partner or with partners or casually like even if you do it for an egotistical thing and and you know you your your partner goes wow this is amazing it's the best sex i've ever had then like why the fuck would you not want to do that you know like <laughs> just like there's so many reasons for exploring your sexuality and going on this journey um yeah and I, yeah i'm just a big advocate for it cool so as we wrap up here where can people find you if they're intrigued by your work uh, yeah, you can find me in two places. Uh, one is on social media, particularly Instagram. I'm at the Cam Fraser across all social media platforms. And um, I try and be as educational as possible on there. So you'll learn something new if you jump on my Instagram. The other one is my website, which is cam-fraser.com. And um, I've got a couple of programs on there. If you're interested in doing anything, I'm, I'm more than happy to answer any questions or you know do a call or whatever. Cool. And I think I'll have you back as well to talk about the other thing. So stay tuned for another episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Just a quick request. I'm looking to get to 100 plus ratings slash reviews of my podcast before the end of the year. And I'm right now at 93. This is for Apple Podcasts. So if you have an Apple device and you're able to give a rating or review, I would really love that. And shout out to everyone who did that between the last week and this week. I'm already at 93 and I'm looking to get to 100. So if you're willing to do that, I would love it. And thank you for listening.